Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. We thank God for tonight, for the privilege of being in His presence. Amen. We are graced to learn about something that I believe many of us, if not all, from childhood, we believe we know how to do. But the frustration is seen in the fact that we have not been effective. Hallelujah. We're dealing with the subject of prayer. And tonight we're talking about the biblical way of prayer. The heathen believe they know how to pray. Even people who don't, have never given their lives to Christ, they think they know how to pray. A person who gets born again today believes they know how to pray. The fetish priest believes he knows how to pray. Everybody believes they know how to pray. And um, from my understanding of scripture, I realized that thinking you know how to pray and knowing how to pray are two different things. Hallelujah. And the evidence in, of your knowledge is seen in what James said about Elias. In James 5, verse 60, when he says that the effectual, fervent prayer of the righteous man avails much. Hallelujah. So it is the effectiveness of the prayer. That determines whether you really know how to pray. Because as for repeating words, rituals, postures, uh, signs, and tokens, which I'll deal with in the course of the uh, message, and all of these things, it's very easy to imitate. Have the kind of vocabulary that seems like we know all how to pray. But if we can get into the presence of God, he will teach us. The disciples of Jesus came to Jesus in Luke 11 and verse 1. And they asked him, Master, teach us to pray. And uh, as John taught his disciples. So you can be around church and still not know how to pray. Until you ask the Lord to teach you to pray. Amen. So let us pray and ask God to help us to understand what it means to pray, so that our prayers will be effective. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for tonight and the privilege of coming to your presence to hear your word and to experience you. We pray, O oh God, that you teach us the biblical way to pray. Not the way we think, but as you think. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. When you study the Word of God, it's always good on any subject we take to try to go to how that subject came into the Bible. And in, in, in theological circles, we say that the, 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 the principle of first meaning, first meaning, in other words, when you don't want to understand something well, 
It's always good to go to the root. When it appeared in the Bible, what did it mean? How was it done? How did it affect people? What did God mean when he brought that thing into the domain of the Bible? Hallelujah. And when you trace the subject of prayer, for many chapters in the Bible, you will not see the word prayer. But you will see semblance of prayer. Things that represent what we call prayer today. And the first experience we have of this communion with God or relationship is when God visited Adam and Eve in the garden in chapter 3 of Genesis. When the, the scripture says, and in the cool of the day, the Lord God came to the garden. And then he was looking for them and they hid themselves. And then he, he said, where have you been, Adam? Then the discussion started. But you see, at that time, that, it didn't say exactly what they had done or they were doing in the communion. It just gave indication that in previous times, God had been having communion with them. Not this communion table we had on Sunday, but having fellowship, interacting with them. So, following that, the next thing we see is that Cain and Abel, in chapter 4 of Genesis, we are told that Cain and Abel, Abel offered a sacrifice, and Cain also offered a sacrifice. And the sacrifice of Abel was accepted by God. But that of Cain was rejected. And I'm asking myself, how there is no Bible at that time, there is no church, there is no fellowship, there is no pastor, there is no prophet, there is nobody to teach Cain or Abel how to communicate with God. My understanding there is that God put the desire to pray in our being. The desire and the longing to look for God is in the human being. The desire to look for the maker to be complete is in the human being. And anybody, that is why the scripture talks about the eye of the Lord moving and through the two through across the earth seeking to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are upright towards him. So God is always looking for people who are responding to that thing or who are positively reacting to that thing. Cain tried to respond but he missed it a bit. But at least he tried. But Abel got it when he saw that it had to come from the heart. And he fell into the prophetic line because of the kind of offering that he gave. Hallelujah. So the scripture says that and Abel gave an offering. And Cain also gave an offering. And I realized when you go fast forward into the New Testament that ah, even though they didn't have pastor, even though they didn't have Bible, they have something they call faith. And prayer is rooted in faith. Because in Hebrews 11, we are told, by faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice. 
Which means that the beginning of all prayer is faith. A person may not know much of the word, may not be a preacher, may not be anything, but if he has faith enough to trust God, to depend on God, to depend, to know that the God of all creation, I'm calling on you. That's why sometimes God manifests himself in strange places and we who are supposed to be religious and righteous and church people, we don't understand. Because there are people, we are not the only people that God hears who. We are not the only people that God sees on the earth. God is looking, and if a person doesn't know him truthfully, he then reveals himself to them. That's how God revealed himself to Moses. Before, in the time of Moses, in Exodus chapter 3, there was nothing like Judaism. There was nothing like the Torah and all these things. There was nothing like that. But God revealed himself to Moses. In the time of Genesis, in chapter 12, when Abraham left the heathen land of Mesopotamia, the scripture says he came to Canaan. And to, he decided to go to Canaan. To Canaan he went with his uh, little family. After God manifested himself to him, the first thing he did, the scripture said, he established an altar. Who taught Abraham how to establish altars to God? I'm talking about faith and prayer. That you see that even those people, in their little, too much is given, much more is required. We have received so much. We have all the books, the principles, the kingdom, this uh, dynamics here. We are fortunate about the subject of prayer and getting close to God. We are in a better time because Cain did, uh, and Abel, they didn't have any Bible. They didn't have any pastor. But they saw that the way to connect to God is through the, the sacrifice. That at least I didn't just appear on the scene. Um, who brought me on the So their inner faith began to respond to their creator. Hallelujah. And we have received more than Abel and than Cain. Amen. And God requires of us that as just we have received more, we will respond better. Abraham, we don't know when he passed through air of Chadians, all those places, and came to uh, Haran, and he came all the way to Canaan. We don't know. We are not told that he met any priest. But as soon as God revealed himself to him, God didn't say, go and make an altar. The discourse is clearly spoken. He said, God said, leave your mother's and father's house, leave your country, and I'll show you to another place. I'll bless you if you... And if you follow me to where I will show you. That was all the message. He didn't say after this discussion, go and mount an altar. Offer a sacrifice. No, he didn't. But as it was his natural response to what God has done. And I want to use that to encourage us that we much more has been given. Say amen. We have received much more word. We have known more. You see, the revelation about prayer is very progressive. And as I saw it in the scriptures, if you see in the scriptures that even in the, New, in the Old Testament, prayers as we are praying today, they, were, they, they, were, they didn't have 
They didn't understand it. The only persons, for instance, if you take spiritual warfare, prayer, which has now become our main prayer today, is of the original prayer that was revealed to Abel and all of that was a ministry to the Lord. Worship. Sacrifice and worship. Devotion. Just acknowledging who God is and surrendering to him. That if you made me, I'm surrendering, I'm giving you my all. I'm giving you my best. That's what the whole response. They didn't have any other thing. Any, they, it was not even a supplication. If you read it very well, you see, Abel didn't go to God because he wanted a shoe, or he wanted a wife, or he wanted a house. He went to God as a natural response to the mercies of God, to the grace of God. He responded to the, the, the grace of God in faith. He said, you God, you are so wonderful. You made me. You, you, you made me so wonderfully. You, you, you set all things in order. When I look up, when I look down, when I look around these animals that my parents are having a name in and all of these, you are wonderful. So I'm offering a sacrifice to you. That's how, that, that was all. There was no Bible. There was, not, there was no teaching. There was no worship. There was no instruments. He just said, the best, I, the least I can do is to kill this animal and pour the blood to you and burn it. That's all I can do. That's the least. There was no teaching, four steps to salvation, assurance of salvation. After that, this how to pray, say the Lord's prayer and say, Our Father who art in heaven, all these were not there. But by faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice. Hallelujah. Can we begin to Look at it. And, and when we say faith prayer, you see there was no binding, there was no losing, there was no uh, uh, intercession, there was no supplication that I want this or I want that. No! I want to be with you. I want to show my appreciation towards you because you are God. Hallelujah. Maybe God's only problem he had with us was in revealing to us that there is a lot more we can gain through prayer. Beyond worship, beyond adoring Him, there is a lot more. So when you get to Genesis further in chapter um, 18, you see the, 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 the next prayer line that God begins to show is the prayer of intercession. Where he, he, and even that he didn't show, he gave Abraham an he, he led Abraham into the prayer of intercession. Because God said, I'm about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. But I can't keep it from my friend Abraham. I'll tell him the secret. Then Abraham, by faith, because the way they were relating to God, if God appeared to a man, they were afraid they would even die. But Abraham, by faith, Say, okay, God, if you have said this to me, can you spare this? So he began to intercede. The prayer of intercession, that's the first time we see that a man is engaging God and trying to change the agenda of God. The plan of God. That is the introduction to the prayer of intercession. So you see that the revelation of prayer is progressive. And that is where we want, to, we want to come to. Too many of us, our prayer lives are not growing and we don't get to know God because our revelation of God and prayer is not progressive. The way we knew God when we were unbelievers and we knew God to be involved 
in just solving our marital, financial, emotional, spiritual problems. That is how we have still known God. But I'm telling you, my beloved brother and sister, that if you want your prayer to be like the prayer of Elijah, Elijah, the scripture says, the effectual, fervent prayer of the righteous man. We want our prayers to avail much. We don't want prayers to be personality dependent, posture dependent, signs and token dependent, time dependent, season dependent. Many of our prayers that we are praying, our faith is leaning on some other things. Which are not the main thing. Look at the way God began to reveal himself to man in prayer. Abel, Abel begins to approach God. In fact, you read chapter 4, the last verse, it says that, and then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. What are they calling on the name of the Lord for? Because until the time of, of Enoch, and also of uh, particularly um, uh, Noah, when they got to Noah, Noah came out of the ark, and the first thing the Bible said he did was that he set up an altar in honor to God. God didn't ask him for that. It was by faith. Can we change our prayer style and things that provoke us to prayer beyond affliction, beyond trouble? See, all these people, they didn't pray, they didn't go to God because they have problems. But our stereotype today is based on problems. If God, we have problems, we don't have problems, we don't pray. If we have problems, we pray. But the prayer, the root of prayer, has to do with acknowledgement of God. Worship. Submission to Him. Understanding that, Lord, you are sovereign, you rule. It's not about my problem. So, people today, pastors, bishops, so-called prophets and all, get frustrated with God and say God has disappointed them because they had a problem and they thought that they brought it before God and God didn't solve it the way. But you see, the invitation to prayer is not hinged on problem solving per se. Hallelujah. Supplication is a byproduct of the real relationship. God wants to have communion, kononia with you and I. Relationship with you and I. That is more important than buying you a shirt, giving you a shirt or daily bread. Because that's what the daily bread he has. He, he can do it far more exceedingly, abundantly, above our imagination. So, when you go in there, Genesis, all through Genesis, especially, you see the prayers that people prayed. Progressively, God was using his encounter with men to reveal himself. So, he worship, then he moves to intercession, then when he gets to chapter 20, he begins to talk about penitence. Until the time of Abimelech, the issue of forgiveness had not come in. It was when Abimelech tried to take the wife of Abraham, Sarah, in chapter 20, he said that, hey, the man is a prophet. Go to him and let him pray for you. That's prayer of penitence. Pray for, pray for forgiveness from God. You have sinned. When you look at all the other prayers, that, all the encounters with God from Genesis chapter 3, chapter 4, up down there, you don't see anybody talking to God that, oh, I have sinned, forgive me, and all of that. No. 
There was no issue about mercy. The first person that we see in the Bible dealing with God about sin and about forgiveness is Abimelech. So it's a progressive thing. And he began to, he went to Abraham and Abraham prayed for him. He said, okay, I have sinned. Forgive me. Then you see intercession, uh, penitence, all mixed up because you see intercession, he, he pleaded for Abimelech. But before then, God himself had invited Abraham to an intercessory prayer meeting. Then he talked to him and taught him that, oh, a man can talk to God and make a plea for other men, for a nation, for his family, and for anybody else who had a problem. Hallelujah. And this, I, I enjoy the journey. Because I see that it's, it, God has a lot of humor, style, and, and he's a great teacher. He's not in a hurry to tell Abraham in one class that, look, this is, all, this is how you get to me. A this, B this, C this. No, 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 no. Step by step. Start worship. Fine, you are doing well. They introduce penitence. Okay, when you sin, come before me. They introduce intercession. Come in. Then he goes on, talk about supplication. When he gets to, and in fact, when it was Abraham's time, did you realize that there was, he wasn't pleading with God for his wife as such? That, oh, when, but when he got to Isaac, Isaac was the first man, and the scripture records clearly that he said to God, you see, when it was his time, Abraham, he was talking about, oh, oh God, are we going to finish it like this? And all of that. He never really came up with it. But in Isaac's time, when Rebekah was not having a child, the Bible said, and he sought, he besought the Lord for the wife's sake, that Lord, will you not have my wife? That's another level of revelation of prayer. So you see that the issue of supplication is not on top of the agenda. Even though it's important, it wasn't the main thing. Having problems stopped. Because, you see, with Abraham, because of the communion, the fellowship, and the faith, it just fell. As he did his work with God, God met him. But when Isaac saw that the thing that Charlie is taking long, I need to talk to God about this thing. He had become a friend. Then Isaac opened his mouth. And the scripture said, was categorically said, and he besought the Lord concerning his wife. Concerning that for she had been barren. Hallelujah. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord was entreated of him. And Rebekah, his wife, conceived. So that's where now prayer, asking for problems to be solved began to feature so strongly. When you get further into the times of David and Daniel and co, you realize that the issue of warfare, which is now our end time thing, begins to feature. And then you get into the New Testament and the prayer of faith. Paul talked, uh, James talked about the prayer of faith will heal the sick. And the confessions of faith. In fact, Jesus introduced the prayer of faith in Mark eleven twenty three. He said, if you say to this mountain, whatsoever you say it. He didn't say, well, if you say it to God, 
about this morning. Whatever you say, that's what we call the prayer of faith. So there are sometimes that out of spiritual provocation or concern, we can speak to a situation. We, we see that or mention that in the scriptures. Certain situations that one needs to speak. Certain impediments, especially confrontations, that is good to confront by a word of faith. Hallelujah. And then in the New Testament, we are told about the agreement prayer, the congregational prayer, and all of that. Now, we are dealing with praying the biblical way. There are certain things we need to understand to begin with. First is that prayer, God looks at the heart first. According to Jeremiah 17 and verse 10. I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. As the Lord will give us grace, one of these days we will talk about the non-vocal prayer. The prayer that is not vocalized. But God, looking at the intents of the heart, still meets needs. We have been programmed to think that the more you shout, the more you say things, the more you do symbolism, the more you tell things, then God hears. But God reads. Uh, as we are moving around and we see things, God is also hearing the heartbeats. And it's also prayer. Hallelujah. So God doesn't look or listen to the vocalization of our words in prayer alone. Even though the words we speak in prayer matter, primarily, God is reading the spirit behind the word. Hallelujah. That is why sometimes when there's a conflict between the, the, the spirit and the word, God will look at the spirit. You may say that, oh, I, I want this thing so bad, but God knows that this thing you are. The motive is wrong. The intent is wrong. Or the intent will not help you. It may be good, but it cannot help you. Because he sees far. So we want it so badly. And sometimes we get dispirited. And a lot of times because we are not spiritual. Because our flesh runs our desires, a lot of our desires. So if we want to be good prayer warriors, intercessors, and people that know how to pray, we must get this ingrained in our spirit. That God is looking at our spirit. Hallelujah. So, prayer is a heart matter. Hallelujah. Let me deal with some of the issues in contemporary times that are interfering with this heart matter of God. If it's a heart matter, why are postures, gestures, and so on and so forth, becoming issues. Jesus said we err because we don't have understanding. I want to look at some of the postures and gestures which are becoming issues in our prayer lives today. I'll run through some of them. Number one is the gesture of standing. 
When you read the book, Old Testament in particular, Nehemiah and Co, Nehemiah chapter 9, you see the scriptures say that, and they stood up and they confessed their sins. What does it mean to stand up in prayer? Why is it that sometimes somebody may be leading a meeting and standing becomes relevant? Standing is a sign of respect in all societies. Standing up to authority is a sign of respect. That's why when we are in a program and the president arrives, because the president is here, we say, the president of the Republic of Ghana, we all stand. If a senior person, religious person arrives, we stand. If we would watch TV that the United States, even with all the democracy, when the president of the United States enters, they stand. Or the speaker of parliament enters, they stand. So standing is a sign, is a mark of respect. We know, you say, oh, but so should we stand always when we have to pray? No. I believe that it's the standard if we can. But in relationships, as the relationship builds up, the senior authority can give you space. Hallelujah. A lot of people, I, I personally don't like people standing in front of me in my office. It's part of my culture. I don't like people standing in front of me to talk to me. So if you come to my office and you talk to me, I ask you to sit. I, I, I feel like sometimes I don't want to feel intimidated. I want you to relax. I want you also not to be intimidated. And I don't want you to intimidate me. <laughs> it's a two-way thing. I ask you to sit because I don't want to be intimidated and I don't want to intimidate you. Because sometimes what you, if you relax, if you sit, you have time to be able to communicate better. Amen. So, much as people will give you the respect by standing, sometimes because you, the higher authority, the scripture says the lesser is blessed of the greater. So, yes, we stand in honor to God, but when we build a relationship with God, an atmosphere can be created where God can say, okay, even you are my son, I, I allow you. And that's an act of faith. See, I said at the beginning that prayer is an act of faith. So the gesture of standing in prayer, we may start it, yes. But because of the faith and relationship you have with God, you may sense that, okay, God understands that I can sit at this particular time. But God uses his servants. Let's say a minister, a preacher is leading a prayer. And he gives an instruction, a divine instruction. And he says, all who are able-bodied should stand. You don't defy it and say that, I have my rights. Because at that material moment, God's authority is placed on the leader, the person doing that. So you don't say, as for me, I'm used to sitting. I don't stand under any man's command. You listen to divine order. You see, and God honors divine order and manifests his glory through divine order. Hallelujah. Because God is not an altar of confusion. So standing is a gesture. It's a posture in prayer. And if you read, I don't want to belabor us going over the book of Nehemiah and all the prayer. But the people stood in prayer. And they read the scriptures. And they worshiped and they cried to God. They pleaded with God. Standing. If you are going to write a scripture, you write plenty. You know, because this one needs a lot of scripture. You're going to go to a lot of scripture. So I told you people at the beginning, don't worry. You, you bring the scripture. Don't add it to the Lord. I don't want to see a hundred list scripture. It's not, I don't want that, please. Just keep it simple. 
So follow me. But you can bring it, project the message. But don't do this list and end up with 100 scriptures at the end of the message. I don't want that. I hope you understand me. Okay. Walking. When you look at the book of Samuel, First Samuel, we are told that in chapter 1, Hannah was walking. The priest Eli was watching her. And her mouth was not moving. But she was talking to God. Her words were not, the mouth, they could see movement, small, small movement. But they couldn't hear the words. She couldn't vocalize the prayer. But she was praying. Hallelujah. But she was walking also as she was praying. So a person can be praying and also walking. Scripturally speaking. Amen. Just as a person can be standing. A person can also be walking. I've said it. Praying. A person can clap their hands in prayer. Psalm 47 verse 1 talks about that. But I'm going to clarify this thing. We are coming to a generation where people think that if you pray and you don't clap your hands, God will not hear your prayer. That's not what... It's not every prayer. You see, in Nehemiah, they didn't clap their hands. Abraham didn't clap his hands. But God heard his prayer. In the New Testament, the people there didn't clap. Peter and Co. In chapter 12 of Acts, when they prayed for Peter, they didn't clap their hands. But God heard their prayer. In Psalm 47 verse 1, it says, Clap your hands, shout unto the God, God with a voice of triumph. It's a prayer. So, clapping at that time is a sign of celebration, thanksgiving. It's part of the thanksgiving and accepted by God. Hallelujah. Shouting is something that is accepted by God. But just as shouting is accepted, in Sir Samuel, when we listen, look at the story of Hannah, silence is also accepted by God. Hallelujah. Kneeling. Kneeling in prayer. The scripture talks about Jesus in Luke 22 and verse 41. When he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, he knelt down and cried to the Father. If it be possible, remove this also from me. In the book of Samuel, Second Samuel 12, 16, we are told that King David, when he was told about the, 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 the sin that he had committed with Bathsheba, and he, he, the Bible says, and he, lied, he lay down all night on the earth, praying, crying to God. So yes, somebody can stand. Somebody can choose to sit. Somebody can choose to lie down. But you see, you realize that we are not follow, ritualistically following all of these postures all the time. Why is it that we are making fetish out of stamping feet and clapping and all of these things? See, sometimes when we take an issue so to the extreme, oh, there's room for all of these things. There's room for running and for sitting and for bowing down, lifting hands, 
Paul said to, the, uh, to Timothy, uh, chapter 2, verse 8, 2 verse Timothy, said, I, I pray that all men pray, lifting hands, holy hands to God. But we can't pray. We, we know that practically it's very difficult to lift your hands every day in prayer for two hours, three hours. Practically, it's not easy. It may be possible, but it's not easy. We know it. So yes, it's accepted. Lifting hands. Biblical to lift hands. It's biblical to lie down. It's biblical to kneel down in prayer. It's biblical to even lie down. It doesn't say on earth or on bed. You can in bed or on earth. But anywhere is accepted. As a sign of worship. As a sign of grief. As a sign of surrender. We can lie down. So don't find it awkward when a brother or sister feels that this prayer time, I want to agonize before God. I want to lie. You too, don't criticize the one that is standing and moving up and down. Hallelujah. Don't say that if you are not lying down like the way I'm lying down, it means you are not spiritual. If you are not leaning like the way I'm kneeling, your prayer is not being heard. No. Because there is room for all of these things. Amen. Bowing down as a way of surrender. It's also accepted. We can go on and on and talk about different forms of postures and gestures that are written down in the scriptures. Now I want to deal briefly with signs and tokens in prayer. Because we are in a generation that people believe in signs and tokens. Bracelets, bangles, necklaces, stickers, posters, Billboards, banners, as a sign that God hears our prayer. When you go to America, especially, you see in what we call the Messianic churches. The Messianic churches have, they believe that Judaism and Christianity are bedfellows and we need to reignite Judaism in a way. So you see the, 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 what you call the altar, the incense, the stands, the stands, all of these, they have a lot of symbols, and they have prayer things, and they, they, they believe in the prayer cloth, you know, and they believe in all the things that the Jews practice. And today, many other evangelical Christians are bought into Messianic symbolism, and believe that we should do it the same way. Well, the scripture says the just shall live by faith. Hallelujah. So, uh, if they believe in that and God hears them, that's up to them. But I, I also believe that um, we should go back to original prayer, which is based on faith. Hallelujah. And when you look carefully, you see that symbolism is something that is in the scriptures. God doesn't encourage that his people stick to. That's why in the book of when Exodus, when he was talking about the Ten Commandments, he said, don't make images. Because imagery, when it becomes like the main thing, then we are shifting from faith of God, in God in our hearts to that symbol. And that's my major worry. So you see that even the oil that is mentioned in the Bible is one of the tokens. Oil. You see in the Old Testament, it's used to anoint kings, prophets, and all of that. And it's for, he, for, for, for healing. In the New Testament, we are told, Jesus even used the oil in Mark 6, verse 13. He, said, he healed many and anointed many that were sick and they were healed. So, really, there's nothing wrong 
when people use oil. We shouldn't find it strange. But it becomes a problem when it's abused. When it's overused. It becomes like fetish. People think that without, if they forget their oil, nothing can happen. But the presence of the Lord is what is needed. The name of the Lord is what is needed. The word of the Lord, in Psalm 107 verse 20, says, and he sent his word and his word healed them and delivered them. The oil was not in the word. Hallelujah. But the healing came. When you read the New Testament in the book of Acts, you see the apostles, they lay hands on many people. They, they didn't mention. But in James, we are told in chapter 5 verse 14, that if there, anybody is sick, let them call the elders of the church and let them pray, anointing him with oil. Now, that's also another issue. Who is authorized to be anointing with oil? We need to deal with that. People say there's a priesthood of all. It's a matter of, it's a delicate subject of faith. So there are people who buy oil and, and they buy oil. They, so this particular oil, if you have it, all your problems are solved. I don't know about that. The only thing, a name that I'm told that when you have any problem you mention that will solve every problem is the name of Jesus. I don't know about any brand of oil that it solves every problem. And in fact, when the oil is mentioned, it means specifically, he says that the elders of the church need to anoint. He didn't say everybody should, otherwise everybody should be taking communion, everybody should be ordaining themselves as pastors and priests. Because the scripture says we are all priests, we are royal priesthood, everybody's called, okay, from today, all of us, five, three hundred of us, four hundred of whatever, we are all reverend, bishops, titles, everybody carry the title. It's not like that. Because the scripture says that no man brings this honor upon himself. Look in Hebrews, you see it, chapter 5, verse 1. No man brings this honor upon himself. That oil you are carrying in your bag, who made you a priest? That has made you, you are anointing your children, anointing everybody, going around, giving yourself certain, because uh, so, so prayed over it. So, no, 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 no. There's no biblical standard for that. He said, let the elders of the church, if anyone is sick, let them come and anoint the person. And it, when Samuel took the oil and he took it to Jesse's house, the people were scared. You, what, 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 what is around you that makes people know that God's presence is around you? You are fighting, you are insulting, you are quarreling, you are doing all the wrong things, and you are, you, you are carrying oil in your bag and still point. When the presence, when Samuel entered uh, 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 Bethlehem, and they said, the man has appeared, they asked him, hey, what is, what is, it, it doesn't come to the, so, what is around you? What aura? What spiritual aura is around you? That you are carrying oil in your bag. That guy you are carrying. You are too ordinary to be doing some of the things you are carrying yourself into. Because we have not allowed spiritual order. There is room for oil. But are you the one? Are you called? Are you anointed? Have you been charged? And because the grace of God is plenty in our era and God is not killing people and cutting people to size, everybody is thinking, I'm also called. Uh, I'm also apostle, so, so, and so. I'm also anointed. But I, I think that we need to be careful about these extreme things. Tokens are in the Bible, yes. If you read the scriptures, you see tokens. 
in the book of Acts. There are tokens from the body of the apostles in chapter 19, verse 12. It says, the body of the apostles, they took handkerchiefs and took it to those who were sick in their homes and they were healed. And he said, the shadow of Peter in chapter 5 and co, they healed people. They brought their sick there. So, the handkerchief, the healing cloth was there. But it's only once in that passage. We are not told in any of the epistles by Apostle Paul, any of them, that that was the pattern that they continued. And the church throughout the history hasn't had that as a pattern. No token has been sustained over, the, over even a decade. Check the church. Any ministry, anybody who has introduced tokens, check from the time of the apostle to date. Over, over a short time, God cut off. God doesn't want the people to believe in that. So you see, otherwise by now you will see that the tokens that were given by some of the prophets and evangelists in the 60s and the 70s, still they will be selling them. But it doesn't happen. Like even though Kenneth Hagin is dead, maybe today if he gave a token of a handkerchief or something like that, people will still, that token will still be healing. But God doesn't want that. Are you understand what I'm saying? So the token cannot be a substitute for prayer. Oil, prayer cloth, bracelets, water. They cannot be a replacement for prayer. This whole mindset that if I have this token, my prayer will be better answered is a misconception. It's a delusion of our time. And that doesn't mean that a token cannot work. If under the unction, as I'm ministering today, the Holy Ghost minister to me say, take your, your mantle, your shirt, or your handkerchief, or your something to somebody, and the person, receive it. And the person receives, and the person he gets healed or delivered. That's it for today. That's all. Or maybe for tomorrow, fine. But after that, that's it. It's still a normal shirt. It's still a normal handkerchief. But trying to make a particular well of water, a particular oil from a particular source, a particular token, particular spectacles, or piece of hair, or anything, a symbol of worship is a very dangerous thing to do. And this is where we are now, people in church, because we are ignorant. If you read, read the scriptures, you will see you see that as a continuous. No talking, even the spittle of Jesus, is not continuous. Jesus used the oil, but he never used it continuously. He healed many people. Many of the people, in the Bible said, some of them, they touched his cloth and they were healed. But he didn't continue doing that. Otherwise, the apostles, those, who, those so, Roman soldiers who cut the cloth of Jesus, they should have been solving problems today. People will be scrambling for the cloth. But today, how many, do you know where the cloth is? We don't know. Are you understand what I'm saying? If it's even there, is the healing power still in the cloth? Is the deliverance power still in the cloth? So this thing about paying money, huge money, 2,000, 5,000, 10,000 for a particular cloth, a particular oil, a particular whatever, we need to be careful. People are borrowing money from banks in the belief that if they can get some particular unction, all their problems will be solved. It's not true. It's deception. 
Remember that the scripture says, according to Peter, that in the last days, men will merchandise. Hallelujah. Let me tackle two important things, then we zero in on the final points. Jesus spoke about repetition in prayer in, Genesis, in the book of Matthew. And people use that, oh, we shouldn't pray about the same topic too long. You misunderstood the whole thing. Jesus was talking in the context of hypocrisy of the Pharisees. He is not saying that in Luke chapter 18 where he talks about going knocking and going to, to God in prayer asking for the same thing. He is not saying you should, if the thing worries you shouldn't go. Hannah did that and God answered her prayer. If it was bad, God would have said so. It's not, there's nothing wrong. If there is a particular, if you want a house or you want a child, you want, you have a need, you want God to solve a problem, there is nothing wrong with going to God until that, say, Lord, me and you will wear the same shorts until you solve that situation and cry to God from the bottom of your heart. Don't say, oh, oh but you, you don't have faith. You have prayed once, stop praying about it. No. If that is still your need and you still, your faith, you want to cry to God, cry. This country has got problems. We have been crying from, since Nkrumah days, and God has been solving our problems. We shouldn't stop crying. We shouldn't say, oh, by faith, everything. No, 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 no. Cry about that situation until we see the hand of God. Then we say, Lord, we thank you. Say amen. That thing was talking about hypocritical, repetitive prayer. For sure. The Jews, they have recitations of prayer. That's what he was talking about. They have learned the rituals of Moses. The laws of Moses. Just like some of our other uh, uh, guys on the other side. Repetitive prayer. Just repeating the prayers. For sure. Holding something and then mentioning some prayers. And repeating. That's what he's talking about. That, 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 that and, and trying to show off that symbol. That, that totem. That, um, what do you call it? Um, uh, uh, talking. And letting people think that you are God is hearing your prayer because you are doing this ritual. That's what he's talking about. But if there is a burden on your heart, there is a cry, you want God to save your husband, you want God to save your, your son, you want God to save your wife, you want God to save your child, you can be like Anna, Anna in the Bible, and be at the temple and cry, oh Lord, until you save my child. I'm not leaving this temple. Until you save this, my husband. That is not repetitive prayer. And it's the same misconception people talk about. Oh, when you are giving offering, people should not see. So some people even they don't write their tithes. They don't give their tithes. You got, got it wrong. Say, read the Bible well. Jesus said you read that. You err because you don't know the scriptures. Read it. In, Gen- in Matthew 6. He doesn't say that. He says that don't give your alms, alms giving. If you are going to help sister A or sister B, don't go and tell C that I've given her 10,000. That's what he's talking about. Otherwise, how would Jesus have known the offering? You saw the people, he said, this woman has given me, Madame Aula Chele. Amen. How would Jesus have known that the woman that she gave the small money was greater and appreciated than all the You are seeing the offering they are giving. When you read the, the, Old, the, 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 the New Testament in chapter 5, 
Where Ananias and Sapphira lied before the apostles. He said, and they laid their gifts at the apostles' feet. Those of you who don't like to pledge and honor God in tithe and, and offer all these technicalities to, to dodge the word of God. You are, you, are, you are missing your blessing. What are you talking about? Well, let scripture say. You don't know the scripture. That's why you are, you are walking in your pride, thinking that you know from your traditional religious perspective. Look into the word of God. The word of God doesn't say that you shouldn't uh, pledge. It says, we give it of arms. The same way. When we, when we are praying, oh, God said we shouldn't shout in prayer. Who says so? It's in the scriptures. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. It says, Jesus Christ, in the days of his flesh, he made loud cries and tears. Shouting is also allowed. Obo. There are certain situations that call for, for aggressive prayer. Jesus, in the time of his flesh, he was crying. In the days of, he said, he agonized in Gethsemane. He cried to the Father. So don't get the, the scriptures wrong. So don't say, oh, it's repetitive. Jesus went three times to the Father. If it be possible, if it be, he said repetition, then he should have said it only once. But he cried three times and said to the father, if it be possible, oh my father, remove this car from me. So you too, if you do it three times, you do it four times. There's nothing wrong. Say amen. It's a misconception about prayer we need to deal with. Some people also have misconception about tongues and understanding. When Paul said that, I'll pray with my spirit, I'll pray with my understanding. Some people are one extreme. Every prayer must be in tongues. No. And every prayer to some people, why are you praying in, in understanding? Every prayer you must, why are you praying in tongues? You must do it in your house. That, read that scripture well. In chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, it doesn't say that we shouldn't speak in tongues in the church. He said, if a heathen comes, if I'm speaking to you and I begin to speak in tongues, and I say, Let, prayer time. Let's invite sister so-so-and-so to pray. Or brother so-so-and-so to pray. And their brother so-so-and-so begin to pray in tongues. How would the heathen, or, or somebody who is not known to the Lord, who doesn't know the Lord well, how would you end the prayer for that person to say amen? But when we are praying together in the congregation, who goes to say amen to somebody else's prayer? He's talking about speaking to the congregation. That when you are speaking to the congregation, as in those days, many years ago, people would speak on their phone. Another person would call That is not what God wants. When you are in a meeting that you are addressing people, speak with understanding. But in prayer, you have the right to speak in tongues, whether it's in church or in the home. Hallelujah. And you need to understand, get these things. Otherwise, they affect your prayer life and you are not able to express yourself the way God has liberated us to express ourselves. Amen. Isn't that what is there? Show me what is there in 1 Corinthians 14, 15 and 16. Say, what is it then? I will pray with the Spirit and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the Spirit. I will sing with the understanding also. Verse 16. Else, when thou shalt bless with the Spirit, how shall he that occupy the room of the unlearned that means somebody who, is not, who doesn't know the Lord very well. Okay, not an illiterate. Say, Amen at the giving of thanks. Seeing he understandeth not what thou sayest. means when they, they ask you, Brother X, will you like to bless this meal? That's not what you are supposed to do at the time. Because you have to speak so that the others, when you say, 
Amen in your prayer. They will join you to say, you always say in Jesus' name, they will say, Amen with you. That's what we're talking about. But when you are, you are praying in the church, as we will do shortly, pray with your spirit. Another confusion that we have now, see the scriptures, when Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, he says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. People confuse that with, with the spirit. Then with the spirit, say Paul said here, he says, else when I pray with my spirit or with my understanding, with your spirit means you're speaking in tongues. Now, in the spirit does not necessarily mean you're speaking in tongues. You might speak in tongues, but you might not. The, the operative word there is the spirit leading you in prayer. That is a critical thing. If I pray in the spirit, because see, we can't pray in tongues every day. Let's face it. If that is the meaning of it, it means every prayer you pray you must speak in tongues. So that's why Paul says, pray always. You cannot pray always speaking in tongues. No. There are many times we pray that we pray in our tree, in Ga, in Hausa, in Sokoto language, whatever language we speak in, that we are free to express ourselves. So that one, the Spirit will lead us. How does the Spirit lead us? You see, sometimes we want to pray according to our mind. According to, I have programmed myself that, Lord, I came to pray that I want a house. A house or nothing but a house. But the Holy Spirit will say, no, intercede for your sister to have a car first. And as you do that, God, that, that's for that house. Like he told the, 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 Saul and his family, as for the ass, they've been sold. Don't forget about it. Now we are dealing with kingdom matters. The ass that you are looking for. Jeremiah And many times when we are coming to God in our prayers, we have our own selfish interests and desires that we come with. And God, by His Spirit, knows the innermost being of what we really or that we told in Hebrews, in Romans 8. So, looking at our real needs, He says, no, no, no. Naturally, in a secondary. You have meant to worship me, but I, the, the shortest matter in Acts chapter 13, that even though you came to minister to me, the Lord, the real subject matter, why I brought you to minister as prophets and priests, uh, uh, prophets and, uh, and teachers, is so that I will show you the work that I have for Paul and Barnabas. So, take the topic now to prayer for commission. And then the scripture says in verse 4, it says, and being sent forth by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit now takes over the prayer and says, the prayer is no longer worship. It's no longer adoration. The subject matter for prayer is really that commissioning, prayer of commissioning. We are going to pray an apostolic prayer to send Paul and Barnabas for the work for which I have called them. That is praying in the Spirit. The Spirit is in And there, even in praying the Spirit, they could speak in tongues, they could prophesy, they could do other But the Spirit is directing the prayer. Many of our prayers are in the flesh. Some of our prayers are in the soul, in the mind, our emotions. But some of the prayers that go deep, that touch God, are Spirit-led prayers. Where the Holy Spirit is inspiring us, instigating us, and it doesn't have anything to do with your agenda, you have prepackaged before you came. 
Before you enter the prayer meeting, it will be there. Sometimes we'll be here, we're having a prayer meeting on a Friday night, and we'll be praying about something. The Holy Ghost will bring some obscure subject, which is not the original part of the main thing. And that prayer will be solving a particular problem. Or even as we are praying about the nation, maybe we have decided we want to pray for the peace. But suddenly, the Holy Ghost will reveal. And you see that clearly when you are doing, a lot of times, when you are doing warfare prayer. When you look at the book of Ezekiel, you will see in chapter 8 and chapter 11. Chapter 8 deals with Paul, God taking Ezekiel into the temple to see certain conspiracies, spiritual conspiracies taking place. Chapter 11 also deals with the subject of people who are evil men who are uh, plotting evil against the nation. And then through that prayer, through that encounter that God showed to him, then the, the, the Bible said God told Ezekiel to prophesy. And he spoke a word of faith. And he said when he began to prophesy, one of them who was called Peletia, he said he collapsed and died. That is the spirit leading him in the prayer. And usually, when you are doing warfare prayer, that's why in Ephesians chapter 6, he brought that thing there. That we can't do blind warfare prayer. Many of us say we are doing warfare prayer. We just buy, we pray, we buy in the name of Jesus. If you are not sensitive to the spirit and you don't allow the Holy Spirit to lead you into certain things, you will just be doing one way, one way, one way, one way, one way. But as you do spiritual warfare prayer, be sensitive to the spirit. The Holy Spirit may reveal to you, just as he revealed to Ezekiel, that no, open your spiritual eyes. You see, room this, this thing, this thing. This. The real issue. Is that there is a, there, there, there's a, 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 a spirit of division in this atmosphere. Or the real issue is that there is a, 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 a spirit of lethargy. Or there's, there's a tradition. Or there's a seed that has been sown. Or there is a curse that has to be broken. Then you invoke the word of God that says that a curse causeless will not stand. So the prayer changes from just binding, breaking, binding, binding, breaking, and that sort of thing. So if we want to do prayer, warfare prayer, as we've listed earlier, we need to understand that being led by the Spirit in prayer is very critical. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, the issue of frequency of prayer in the Old Testament, people just voluntarily did it when they felt led, as we read in Genesis. But when you get further, you see that in the book of Daniel, chapter 6, verse 10, we are told that he did pray three times. In the New Testament also, we see in the book of Acts, Peter and John says, going to the place of prayer, the temple, in the hour of prayer. So you see the Jewish system had times of prayer. Three times of prayer, so to speak. Jesus, yeah, he, he, he broke all the rules. He did it all night and had all days and half days and all. There was no form. But you see, when you get deeper into the book of Thessalonians, First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, a new standard is set. We cannot move with the Abrahamic standard. Whereas and when God does himself something good or reveals something, they will do an altar. No. So in the New Testament, in the book of Thessalonians, pray without season. So the standard of three times prayer, five times prayer, all of those which becomes then ritualistic, we have moved beyond the four times and five times. 
to praying without season. That doesn't take away the discipline of the morning prayers and the evening prayers and the, all the times of prayer. But the real standard that we are being called to as we end the times is a praying without season prayer. Hallelujah. Now, another thing that I need to be, we need to be conscious of when we're doing spiritual warfare in prayer. I missed that out when I was talking about spiritual warfare. In the book of Esther, in chapter 3, verse 6 to 8, let's see something there. Esther chapter 3. You were talking about um, the man, Haman. Uh, uh, and he thought scorn to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they showed him the people of Mordecai. Wherefore Haman sought to destroy all the Jews that were throughout the whole kingdom of Hyseros, even the people of Mordecai. Verse 7. In the first month, that is the month Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, they cast pear, that is the lot, before Haman from day to day and from month to month to the twelfth month, that is the month Ada. Then, and Haman said unto the king Ahasuerus, there is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in all provinces of thy kingdom. And thy laws are diverse from all their people. Neither keep they the king's laws. Therefore, it is not for the king's profit to suffer for them. Now, we won't have time to talk about it. But the key thing there is that if you are a person of spiritual warfare, you need to understand that the people in the different realm, the demonic realm, they use seasons and times to operate. Now, many Christians try to monitor their, do their spirituality around them. I don't believe that. It's, it should be that way. I believe that we should be led to respond or to move ahead of them. Don't, so that there are people, every time you see people send out prayer bulletins, maybe like when there's home war or there is a festival, they, oh, they, are, they, are, they are doing this and doing that. I think that much as that is factual, that they invoke things in the atmosphere, if you are in this territory, we also should not allow that to determine when we strengthen ourselves in the Lord. Hallelujah. Before they even get there, we are already ready. I, I, I get a bit concerned when people overly get so obsessed. You see, this thing is talking about in verse 7. Naaman didn't, the timing of the kingdom of the Jews wasn't just by heart. He timed it in the spiritual realm. He, play, he said he cast laws and the, the timing, they moved them, they, they knew the right time. They knew when the, the constellations will align themselves and luck will be on their side. They knew when the, 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 the dead and the, 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 the living could confer and things would happen. It would be easier in the spiritual realm to do certain things. That's what he's talking about. That the people of the occult, they use times and seasons and they optimize it. They know that when there's a change, uh, 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 the winter solstice and this equinox and all of this, they move with them. That's why most people are into lodge and all of these things. They don't play with times and seasons. They don't play with days. days. That's why a Christian must not read his stars or her stars. And not, must not make jewelry to fit their stars. Because when you do that, you are invoking the occultic power to monitor you. And when they monitor you, they can influence your direction. So those of us who just buy jewelry by heart, 
And like, I, I mean, I'm Sagatarius. I am this, I'm this. And you are, anytime you buy a newspaper or a magazine, you're, oh, you are so obsessed with, with, with the, your, 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 your day. What they are saying. They have consulted mediums based on timings. They looked at the elements and they have lined them up for you to control your life. So if you are a woman or a man of prayer, you must not get into the occult. You must not get into certain things. Because when you play with them, they will play with you. Hallelujah. So if you are prayerful, if you want to be a Christian who loves to pray, keep away from the occultic things. Any symbols. When you are buying rings, when you are buying earrings, don't just buy. Look for the meaning. If the meaning doesn't sound correct to you, don't buy. Don't say, oh, uh, 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 this tattoo is nice for me to, my boyfriend said I should make some. It's a Christian one. Who told you? When the scripture is very clear, say that don't make tattoos, embossments on your body for some symbolic reason. And it's the reason because when you keep looking at it, something happens. And I told you many times that, that was, when I was a student in the UK many years ago in the church that I worship, on a Sunday evening, we were having baptism in front of the church like this, pool like this, as you do in, the, in Europe. The lady, a young lady who had gone to Australia, they, she had so many tattoos on her body. And the moment she went into the baptism pool and came out, all the tattoos vanished. Then I realized that tattoos are spirits. So don't, you don't take it as, oh, some of the symbols are Christian symbols. Why, 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 why did God tell you to put any tattoo on you? If you are a Christian, stay away from any symbolism, anything that we do. Some of us, we say, our clan, they have done some things when you are, oh, no, deal with it. Let's pray over it and break the power of it. Otherwise, all those things will be interfering with your prayers. If you don't understand spiritual warfare, you understand better when the Lord opens your eyes. Hallelujah. But all I'm saying is that if we are in a warfare, know that you are in a warfare. Seasons, times, are all serious times before the Lord. Day and night. And we don't, we don't allow the enemy to dictate the pace. Whether he's monitoring our time, or not, whether it's their season or not, we don't care. We have our own season. We have our calendar. We are moving accordingly. Amen. Finally, Jesus prayed for us in John 17. He set a standard for prayer. I prayed for the church. Paul also prayed for the churches in Ephesians 6, chapter 1 and also chapter 3. Colossians 1. In many other epistles, he prayed standard prayers for the church, which we can Pray. Sometimes if you want to learn how to pray for church, learn those prayers. Pray those prayers. Use those same words. It's okay. Once you, you apply faith, don't say, oh, uh, the Lord's Prayer, for instance. You can pray the Lord's Prayer. There's nothing wrong with praying the Lord's Prayer. If you apply the words in faith, but if it becomes a repetition, a recitation, then it becomes a ritual. But if you take the words one by one, I pray parts of the Lord's Prayer almost every day. When I say to people, when I pray for people and I say, Lord, lead them not into temptation. Deliver them from evil. It's part of the Lord's prayer. It's good. It's a good prayer. And I pray for myself, Lord, deliver me from evil. Lead me not into temptation. It's a good prayer. But don't let it be a ritual. Hallelujah. Tonight, before we leave here in the next five, ten minutes, I want us to, the Lord laid a particular burden on my heart. The scripture which says that my house shall be called the house of prayer. I want us all to Pray that our house 
will be house of prayer. Our house being our body, our house being our family, our household, our house being our church, and our house being our nation, be a house of prayer. You want to rise to your feet or just come before the Lord and say, the Lord, I want me, myself, to be a person of prayer. My body, my house, to be a house of prayer. I want my household, my wife, my husband, my children, to be a household of prayer. I want my church to be a household of prayer. We, want, we are too many people who want people to pray for them all the time. God wants you. He, you are his child, as he says in Hebrews. Let us, let us therefore come boldly into his presence. Come therefore boldly. He's inviting you to come. Come. Make yourself a house of prayer. Make your human body a body of prayer. Talk to God. Say, Lord, I want to be a house of prayer. I want to be a, power, a pillar of prayer. I want to be in your presence all the time. I want to be in your, in your ministry all the time. I want to worship you all the time. Day and night. Let nothing take away this grace from me. In the name of Jesus. Talk to God, somebody. Rakabratori adi. Lord God, I pray that Lord, you will strengthen me in the area of prayer. Coming into your presence, oh Lord. I pray that Lord, I will not be tired. I will not be weary. I will not be weary of praying, Lord. Come into your presence. Help me to pray all kinds of prayers in the spirit. I pray, oh God, I will lead many into your presence. I pray for my brethren that every one of us will be led, O Lord, by your Spirit, O Lord, in the presence of the Lord, in the name of Jesus. I pray, O God, every impediment in the hearts of your people, in the lives of your people, O towards praying, O Lord, be removed. Every, every blockade, O Lord, in the prayer life, O of our brethren, O be removed in our households, remove every blockade, every impediment Every obstacle towards coming to your presence be removed in the name of Jesus. Every weariness of the flesh, every lethargy that all obstructs our prayer lives, every blind blind attitude, every ignorance, oh Lord, that interferes with our access to your presence be removed in the name of Jesus. Make us intercessors. Make us, oh Lord, one praying for the other. Praying, oh Lord, one for the other. Being there for one another. Make us, oh Lord, people that are quick to repent. Oh Lord, oh Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus. People that pray in faith. People that pray the prayer of faith. Oh Lord, in the name of Jesus. Help me, Lord. Help my brethren. That Lord will not be weary, Lord, in prayer. Will not be weary in your presence. In the name of Jesus, revive all the altars of prayer in our homes. Revive the altars of prayer in our personal lives. Revive the altars of prayer in our church. Revive the altars, oh Lord. Let our prayers all be acceptable, oh Lord, in the name of Jesus. For it is written in your word, oh Lord, you want us to pray the effectual fervent prayer as Elijah prayed. May we also pray that kind. May that be our type. Oh, may we also be men and women, oh, that are going Oh Lord, in the presence of the Lord, in the name of Jesus, may we not be weary in prayer. May we not be weary in intercession. May we not be weary in worship, in the name of Jesus. 
Mashaka balagola babaya, eka baya, e papaya, ashika balakundi baba, shamari babaya, ibolo bolo babaya. Ask for the garment of prayer. Ask for the garment of prayer. Don't be dependent on other people to pray for you. You can pray for others. Sir. You can intercede for others. Sir. You can be a, that intercessor. You are that one. Uh. God is calling on you. Uh. The grace is given tonight. Uh, receive the grace. Uh. The grace uh, to war. The grace to worship. The grace to minister. The grace to repent. Uh. The grace to call upon the Lord. Ikabala kuneni, shabala kuneni, simiri babala baba. Let the dew of heaven. Oh Lord, bring us a refreshing, oh Lord. Shabala bula kataya. Shabere kelebelebe sataya. babaya. Lead us into the realm of the spirit, oh Lord. Lead us into the realm of Lord of your freedom in prayer. Shemelebele kalaya. Shemelebalukotolo baba. Not be weary in prayer. Oh Lord, show us Thy glory. Oh Lord, show us, show us Thy glory. say with me. Dear Lord, Lord, I thank you you for your strength strength that has come come through your word. word. Tonight, Tonight, I receive it. it. The grace grace to be be a house of prayer. prayer. Tonight, Tonight, I receive it. it. The grace grace to make my household household a house of prayer. Tonight, I receive the grace to make my fellowship, my church, a house of prayer, to be a channel, a channel, an inspirer for prayer. Tonight, the grace to pray, to come into your presence, to lead many into your presence. I receive it. Every obstacle, every impediment, every weight that stands in my way in prayer, I pull down, I put aside in the name of Jesus. I put on the garment of prayer. I put on the garment 
of prayer, of worship, of intercession. I receive it and walk in it. I dwell in it. I lead many into the presence of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing me. Amen. Thank you, Father, for hearing us. We operate as your priests. We operate as your servants. We receive this invitation. We honor this invitation. We will dwell in your presence in prayer. We pray according to your will. We pray according to your word. We pray, O oh Lord, according to your plan and your purpose. We will not waste the time. We will not pray amiss. According to your word, we will pray. We will pray the prayer of faith. Leading many into your presence. We thank you that you have heard us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's teach other people the way to pray. Let's not just be cowed by the trends of the times. Hallelujah.